0: Just a note to our listeners, this podcast episode does include some sensitive language. Let's get started. From the Princeton University School of Engineering and Applied Science, this is Cookies, a podcast about technology privacy and security. I'm Aaron Nathans. On this podcast, we'll discuss how technology has transformed our lives from the way we connect with each other to the way we shop, work, and consume entertainment. And we'll discuss some of the hidden trade-offs we make as we take advantage of these new tools. Cookies, as you know, can be a tasty snack, but they can also be something that takes your data. On today's episode, we'll talk with Orestes Papakiriakopoulos and Arua Michelle Mboya, Arestus is a postdoctoral research associate at Princeton's Center for Information Technology Policy. His research showcases political issues and provides ideas, frameworks, and practical solutions toward just, inclusive, and participatory algorithms. Arua is a research assistant at the MIT Media Lab. She is a virtual reality programmer and researcher who investigates the socioeconomic effects of enhanced imagination. They've written a study about the Google search engine and the subtle, and not so subtle, ways in which it shows its bias, and in many ways perpetuates tired old stereotypes. Let's get started. Arrestus Arua, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us. All right. So if I Google the word lawyer, up come images of mostly men in suits. If I Google judge, I see men in black robes with the exception of Judge Judy. If I Google firefighter, they're mostly guys. And if I Google nurse, they're largely women. Arrestus, why does the search engine work like that? So the search engine practically
1: uh, indexes pages that exist online. Uh, and then when you tries to match a query that the user makes to these pages to return the best results. So actually the search engine brings in front all the stereotypes and biases that actually exist in the society and all and consequently also exist online.
0: I mean, how does, uh, how does a search engine work? I mean, who creates the algorithm? Is it something that was created a long time ago or is it fluid? Is it being fine-tuned?
1: So search engines are opaque generally. We don't know exactly how they function because they usually are a, a, a property of a company, uh, but we know more or less how they behave. So because uh, they the Google or another company indexes the web, it has a database of websites uh, and uh, then creates an algorithm that based on the information a user provides it will turn return to them the best results
0: is combating bias usually a part of the designers thinking has it been that way you know for a long time or is this kind of a new a new concept
1: um actually no so um, usually designers don't think about biases and what might emerge so the field of algorithmic bias has emerged the last years and becomes more and more uh, prominent and important um algorithms usually that are part of certain engines are dynamic. so they they map the internet constantly and update their inferences and results uh, depending on the information that exists on the internet. So designers usually think of the technical, issues of such algorithms and less about the ethical and political consequences
2: they bring.
0: I mean, have those consequences started to seep into the algorithm already, or is it just kind of all academic at this point?
2: Yeah, I think you're, I think you're starting to see um, some of those changes happening, although not necessarily at the pace that they should be happening, and not necessarily in all the areas that they should be happening in. But I think a very sort of notorious example is when the Google search engine was uh, categorizing black people as monkeys and people identified that bias and des- identified that misclassification. And so, and, and I think we'll talk about this a bit later in the interview, but, um, but that was overcorrected. So now you're not going to see A black person being labeled monkey. Um, At least it never happened in our study. I don't think we saw that even once. Um, But those were very specific instances that were called out that then the company was able to correct for. But researchers like us are the people who have to go in and look for those biases and look for those misclassifications and then say, hey, this is what's happening. And it's not all the time that they take our feedback or our critique into consideration
0: so is it possible larua to eliminate all bias i mean you know there's a lot that individual people people who may be programming the algorithm don't know about cultures uh, that are separate from their own
2: yeah that's a that's the big question And i think if somebody had the answer to that like could you eliminate all bias if someone had an algorithm that could do that then they would be either very rich or in jail or one of the (laughs) two and so um I think part of eliminating the bias is by diversifying the talent of people who are creating the algorithms um, and the data that is being put into algorithms. Um, Orestes, this is kind of like your area of expertise. I know that in another study you've you've actually done some of this work. Do you want to share what that looked like?
1: Uh, Yes. So actually, the the main issue is that all these algorithms today try to replicate human behavior. So automatically, because human behavior is biased, all these algorithms are going to be biased. So in general, uh, in order to combat these issues and um, at least, like reduce them, we need to think okay, at the end product, when an algorithm does an inference, how can we uh, prevent it from happening or filter it and so on? This is a practical solution. Another more utopian solution is to try to think alternative ways of how these algorithms should be trained uh, and not based on the existing human behavior, but probably uh, in respect to an ideal one.
0: I mean, there's aspects of bias that we don't usually think about. What's the significance of black hair politically uh, in in some cultures, and and why would that matter? You you've you've written about this. I don't know which which of you would like to take this question. Go ahead,
2: Aras. Right, so you want to talk about black hair?
0: <laughs> I don't want to talk about hair in general. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Those of you at home are not seeing what I'm seeing, but go ahead, please. Aras, this is bold. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, so like. You know, black hair is political for black women, uh, more so in the West than I would say even in Africa, because um, you know I'm from Kenya, and black hair is—I wouldn't call it political in so much um, as just you know a really important feature of black womanhood. Whereas um, in the West, where black hair is much less understood or politicized in that it is seen as unprofessional or seen as um, you know there's been there's just been a lot of effort in the west to make mm-hmm. black hair seem as not like not good and you're seeing that you're, you're seeing that changing over the years and that in the past black women would have to perm and relax their hair so that it was straight Um, so that it would be professional. Um, You were seeing in schools, black students not being allowed to wear afros or dreadlocks, or other protective styles that are common in black culture. Uh, And those are things that I never struggled with growing up in Kenya. But once I moved to the US, did struggle with. Um, And now you're seeing a whole nother movement, uh, where black people are reclaiming the beauty of their hair, the versatility of it. And um, there's a natural hair movement now. And those are words that I'm seeing like kind of both of you being like, huh, what? Oh my God, it's totally not in your, um, it's totally not in your periphery of, of of topics to think about, whereas it's constantly in mine. Um, And so if I'm Googling a picture of a black woman, or if I'm um, searching for something and all the results that I'm getting back are stereotypes, to me, it's very clear that there's some sort of bias in the search engine. But if I'm not an engineer, if I'm not a Algorithmic designer, I might not be able to have the language to describe what that feedback really is, um, and so, like I said before, part of part of part of that is diversifying the pool of people who are creating these algorithms, uh, because, like Oressa says, these algorithms are really opaque, and even as researchers, we can't necessarily get into all the nitty gritty about how it's working. Um, but you have like really amazing researchers in Google and. And uh, Facebook and all these companies that are doing all these things that, um, but if, if none of them are black women, if none of them are people who have that context about black hair the way that I do, then things like this keep getting missed, just like the monkey um, example until somebody brings it up.
0: So, can you tell me a little bit about how you conducted your research? What were you looking for? And I mean, you guys sorted through a lot of different images, right? You, you used a, a web crawler. I mean, how did you? How did that work?
1: So, we knew that uh, Google search engine carries biases uh, through examples like the one that Arua mentioned, uh, and we we wanted to see how systematic this bias was because these cases of bias were really uh, like they were really. Uh, targeted to see and to mitigate and so on. So, we wanted to see okay, Google is removing such biases, but do they actually remove biases in general? Uh, and that's why we focused on a very little part of the search engine where you can feed an image and get some search results um, back, as well as a label for that image. Uh, and we wanted to see there by systematically. Uh, showing pictures to this part of the algorithm, what general uh, stereotypes uh, does the algorithm uh, reproduce? So you actually put a put an image into the search engine? Uh, we put 40,000 images of uh, individuals in the search engine of different ethnic groups. How do you put an image into an engine? So, no, no that's a very good question. So Google has the option, like, to... Uh, to It's called reverse Im- image search in Google Images. And then you can slide in an image or upload it and you will get related results to that image as well as a label assigned mm-hmm. to that image.
2: So you can actually, the same way that you might Google Cheetah, you can actually take a picture from your desktop, um, just go onto Google and instead of, you know, you can do web image, whatever, just go search by image and you can actually drag in an image into the Google search engine and it will return to you the same way that if, you know, you put in a word, it'll return to you, um, some ops, it'll return to you some options. And the, um, what it returns to you tends to be images that are similar related articles and what is Arrest is saying, which is really what we were studying, is a label. So if I put a picture of you, Aaron, into the search engine, um, unless if it if it recognized your face, it might say, hey, this is Aaron Nathans. But if it didn't, uh, it might say white man or it might say researcher or it might say, you know, podcast or something like that. Um, so that's what we were looking at. We were feeding 40,000 images of people of different ages, races, genders, and then uh, seeing what does the label return? And we were looking really at, is, is there some sort of misclassification going on? So do they label people what they are not? And then from a more uh, computational social science perspective, we were trying to see um, like, what is the language that the Google search engine returns and how does that vary across different demographics?
0: So Arua, I found it interesting that the algorithm tends to revert to some pretty tired and unfair stereotypes on race and gender. Uh, You've spoken about how people can be classified by the search engine as quote hot and human. What does that mean?
2: Yeah. So hot and human are two labels that came back primarily for non-white individuals um so and and especially for non-white men so like i said if i fed in an image of you it might say researcher um you as a white man it might say it might describe your career it might describe um some and the action that you're doing so speaking if you know i shared a picture of you with a microphone however um, those labels hot and human became much more like and, uh, to a significant degree prevalent for uh, women of color, particularly um, were frequently labeled as hot or other uh, appearance based characteristics like sexy and um, you know, most beautiful. Um, so all these like superlatives about beauty and attractiveness um, and then human and why human is really interesting is because it's really the, it's really the most basic term you could use to describe somebody, um, yeah. and I think the human must have come from an overcorrection of, of that finding that we said about the monkey, um, because human was used more often than not on black people, and uh, as if, as if that was something to label someone by, um, but the it, you know if if human was a label across the board across gender across race then we would say okay then the algorithm is just extra precise on giving us exactly the species that we are but that label was never used on or not never used but very rarely used on men uh, especially white men so hmm. it was it it says something about the uh, the 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 algorithm it is it's not very creative Mm-hmm. On people of color, on women of color specifically, um, and can get and as I think we'll talk about this a bit later, but can get more creative for men and then um, more than just men, like white men.
0: Yeah, human, I mean, it sounds like they're trying to impart some kind of dignity, but human yeah. says almost nothing about a person. Yeah, whereas exactly. researcher, you know, you're you're elevating that person.
1: Yeah, and if I my uh, my my thought uh, like. So there was this: if you were a white man, you you had all these uh, diverse uh, words describing y- yourself, your appearance, and actions. If you were a non-white man, you were reduced to human. And if you were if you were a white woman, you you were usually classified as blonde. And if you were a non-white woman, you were sexy, hot, and so on. So we had the a a clear hierarchy in the results of the algorithm that uh, replicate white uh, patriarchy um, and the hierarchy of masculinity as well. And to to the point that what humans mean, the more general a description is, the more, and redundant actually, the more uh, the, the discriminatory potential behind it. Because stereotypes are generalizations and being human is the biggest generalization you can do and say about the human.
2: To be able to so explicitly see, see those overcorrections, the, the, you know, the human and um, things like that kind of says that even though they fixed a particular bias, that the, that they've not necessarily restructured or redesigned the algorithm in and of itself it's it's kind of like a band-aid on top of right on top of a cut instead of you know actually going in and giving it stitches mm-hmm.
0: you're listening to cookies a podcast about technology security and privacy we're speaking with arrestus papakiriakopoulos and arua michelle mboya Arrestus is a postdoctoral research associate at Princeton's Center for Information Technology Policy. Arua is a research assistant at the MIT Media Lab. On next week's episode, we'll talk with David Sherry, the Chief Information Security Officer at Princeton University, who will give us some tips on how we can shore up our own digital security. It's the 100th anniversary of Princeton's School of Engineering and Applied Science, To celebrate, we're providing 100 facts about our past, our present, and our future, including some quiz questions to test your knowledge about the people, places, and discoveries who have made us who we are. Join the conversation by following us on Instagram at ePrinceton. That's the letter E, Princeton. But for now, back to our conversation with Orestes and Arua. Your research included an interesting exercise of finding photos of both male and female top executives and stripping them of their privilege to see how the algorithm associated them just by their appearance. Was there any difference in how the men and women were labeled?
2: Yeah. um, Yeah. I'm excited to take this one because it was an innovative research method, let's say. Um, So, you know, we, we wanted to challenge power. We've, been thinking about how research sometimes really focuses on the groups that are you know that are the minority groups the groups that are affected you know like I said like oh black people are named monkey and all this but um borrowing on some research um from an actually a colleague of mine Chelsea Barabas um who writes a paper uh, on challenging up like studying up challenging power itself like Studying the people who hold the most power, mm-hmm. uh, we 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 said okay, we we we've seen some of these results. Let's see how these results apply to the people at the top of like the techno socio hierarchical ladder, let's say. Um, and so we wanted to look at images, you know, the the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Tim Cooks, the Larry Pages, the Peter Thiel's, the the people who who kind of have the authority to design or to make decisions about these algorithms. Mm-hmm. Um, And we wanted to do that for both men and women. Um, I will say that it was much more difficult to come up with a list of nine women at that level of power that we are talking about when we say Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos. Um, But nevertheless, we, you know, we did our homework and we found nine women, uh, primarily white women, but with including one black woman, Bozoma, St. John. um, Who are some of
0: the other ones?
2: Um, yeah, Sheryl Sandberg was in there. Marissa Meyer, the CEO of Yahoo. Um, uh, Gwen Shotwell, SpaceX president. Susan uh, Wojcicki, YouTube CEO. Um, and I think these names are less household names than uh, some of the name, names on the on the men's side, but they 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 all hold a, a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Amy Hood, Microsoft CFO. CFO. Um, and so the idea was, you know, in the same way that we were feeding images into algorithm was to feed their faces into all the algorithm. However, these people are really well indexed by the internet and if I go and try and Google a picture of Tim Cook it probably already has the label Tim Cook. Um, And so what we did was try to find videos of them on YouTube and Mm -hmm. then screenshot really random moments of their faces that we didn't think would have been indexed already. Um, And for the most part we were pretty successful in doing that. Um, And then we fed them in and then we did like a little study to see what is what are the labels that return for the men and the women, and mm-hmm. it was a really uh, enlightening investigation because while the algorithm was way better at classifying the individuals by name for men, in that. You know, when we did it for the men, Mark Zuckerberg was identified um, a couple times, and and we did we didn't just use one photo for each one. We used a couple of photos for each one, so mm-hmm. um, so there was multiple opportunities for the algorithm to label each individual. And um, what we found for the men was yes, sometimes they were identified by their actual name, um, and so the algorithm was that smart to recognize them. Um, but even when they didn't, the the number of descriptors used to describe them um, was very diverse. Um, and so there was, you know, they were labeled as gentlemen, they were labeled as business person, they were labeled as the action they were doing. They were public spe- speaking or they were singing or they were sitting or they were official. And they, they used all these adjectives to describe the men it said like academic dress, um, police officer, um, you know, selfie, like all this descriptive language to describe the men mm-hmm. with the women the most descriptive the, the words that they used the most were girl so that's also in contrast to gentlemen they don't call them ladies or women they call them girls
0: so Cheryl Sher- Sandberg and yes. some of these other high ranking executives they, they labeled as girls?
2: mostly girls, Cheryl Sandberg was labeled a girl nine times and then labeled spokesperson one time so out of ten, out of 10 queries um, and then uh most and and there was some inappropriate um labels that were returned like i think one was tetas de Marta sanchez which in spanish means the tits of Marta martha sanchez uh i think amy hood was was labeled that um and just very undiverse labels so afro for the one black woman that was there um blonde was the second most uh used label i mm. it, i think Half the women are blondes, but still categorized by their hair. So without these, so when the algorithm doesn't know who it's dealing with, um, you see there's a huge bias towards men. There's, like you said, when you searched up firefighter, when you searched up judge, you were getting men, right? And um, so there's all these ideas about what men can be and such a small imagination about what women can be um, and it gets worse when you add women of color on top of it. Um, so if, you know, the same thing is happening to white women, it's happening at a worse scale to, to women of color, but all of this is happening to women in general. Um, so you see some of those power dynamics, um, really being exhibited by the, by the algorithm. Um, and you would hope that findings like this are what challenge power to make, you know, different, different decisions. Do you have anything to add on to that, Arrestes?
1: I would like to add also that although we tried to strip the privilege of Zuckerberg or other uh, prominent um, male uh, tech individuals, still the algorithm kept recognizing them. So sometimes it was impossible for the algorithm not to find their names. And besides that, the general point also of studying up was not to say... First of all, to look at the people with power and challenge them, but also like to to, to bring awareness by because it, by bringing the bias closer to people who actually hold the power, they might be, get more uh, influenced by it in order to change things. Because there have been thousands of studies that show the problems and issues of minorities and so on. But when the problem comes to you, who holds the power, it might it, you start seeing it differently. And that was one of the um, aims that we wanted to achieve by signing up.
0: So, arrestus do people perceive themselves in the way that a search engine perceives them? No.
1: And uh, it was really interesting when I was showing the results to colleagues of mine uh, here at Princeton, I, 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 they also t- took pictures of them and started feeding them in the search engine and they were really negatively surprised about oh. the results the, the algorithm was returning to them uh, and some were really like weird results for example a colleague of mine she was uh, labeled that she had about her teeth the label was teeth that the <laughs> algorithm returned yes oh. because she has a very nice smile and <laughs> like Indeed, in the pictures she uploaded, she had a nice smile, but the algorithm saw teeth. And she told me, I'm really feeling weird by the, the, the result that the algorithm brings. And that brings the point that these search queries are not biases that we say, oh, something is biased. It comes with real-world consequences and real-world harms, both in a systematic way, but also in a direct way when a people uses the search engine.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. And what, like, we put ourselves in it, right? And why am I forgetting what it labeled me as? I think when I put it in, it just said Afro.
1: Is so, that- we uh, Arua put a picture of her and it said Afro, but the, the issue was not that. In the search results next to her picture, there was Afro, a description of what Afro is, but it did not have... A, a picture of an of an african it had the picture of a white man wearing a wig yeah an afro, yeah.
2: afro wig yeah yeah i remember that and i think mm-hmm. you're you were described as what what were you described as did you put yours on i
1: i think i was just human or okay. gentleman like yeah. i yeah. I, I, yeah. I did not uh-huh. have anything special literally.
2: yeah yeah um but we have, I don't know if that was the Google search engine, but there was another, there was, I think we put your face into something else. Was it some other engine and, and it returned rapes, rape suspects.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So it, it was one of these exactly, I think it was from AI now a project that wanted to oh, yeah. bring awareness on biases uh, that the uh, computer vision algorithms have, and it classified me as rape suspect.
0: Oh. Yeah. Wow. yeah. How did that make you feel? Not nice, of course.
1: <laughs> I don't think that either Arua with how the certain in return, the result about her and me. Like, I uh-huh. didn't want to talk about it to anyone, for example, yeah. in my case. Yeah. It's yeah. something I don't mention to anyone, that the algorithm returns yeah. such a label
2: oh, about I'm sorry me. sorry that I brought it up. Wow.
1: No, it's fine. It's true, and we should talk about these things and yeah. bring yeah. awareness.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, so what? So what's the harm? I mean, we see these things alone. You know, it's an interesting exercise. But does this? What does this say? What is the overall societal harm in, in these in these biases in the algorithm?
2: Well, there's there's so many, and and this is really Orestes' expertise, but. Two of the things that just come up to me is, well, A, it's all about perception. Um, Perception matters. The internet is how we perceive the world these days. Um, And if you're, it's kind of like how when you see images of Africa, it's mostly starving kids. And it just keeps the perception of the continent that way, even though that is not what it is in its entirety, um, and that affects how people interact with you. That affects how you get to travel and see and encounter the world is through how people perceive you. Um, and then the second is what these algorithms are used for outside of just a search engine. And someone, another colleague of ours from the Media Lab, she has really famous research, Joy um, um, she is a research scientist and has been tackling bias in AI after finding that The computer vision algorithms could not recognize or identify black and people of color and women and gendered uh, faces. So you know how there's facial recognition technology. Um, It she's done. She's been the driver of a lot of the work to diversify. And improve those algorithms because when she was testing them out in, you know, in 2015 or something, um, they were not recognizing her face. She would have to wear a white mask for the algorithm to recognize her face. Um, and how really? dangerous is that if those are the same technologies that are being sold to the government and to the military and to the police to identify uh, people uh to identify crimes and to, to to try cases. And if it cannot recognize my face, how is it going to tell the difference between me and some other person who is also Black? Um, so there's all these huge risks that come with it. And, and the problem is that we don't know exactly how these algorithms are working. So we can't interrogate the problem very specifically. We can you know, bring these to light, just like Joy brought to light. Hey, the thing isn't recognizing Black people. And because obviously there's no Black people designing these algorithms, no one's ever thought about it. And so now she's, you know, a rock star, uh, a superstar researcher, and everyone is, you know, trying to correct for the mistake. But if Joy hadn't done the work that she had done, where would we be right now? And so there's also the burden of putting this labor on researchers of color to to. And, and other research in general to identify all these potential harms, uh, instead of instead of that being part of the design and the the creation of the algorithm.
1: Like I totally agree with all the things you said, um, and I believe also that um, it's also the harms are a lot of times untraceable because these applications and these input data like the images of us the, fa- the social media accounts of us are fed in in numerous algorithms from credit score calculation uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to uh, recidivism for example to mm-hmm. A- mm-hmm. any other case study we can think of and um, we really don't know how these uh, these problematic inferences contribute to to decisions that affect people's lives and it's not only the search engine that comes with harms, but also the other cases and the other applications that have a much, much bigger direct implications. But also, even the Google search engine, if we think like if you put cowboy, you will get cowboy, a normal cowboy. If you put female cowboy, you will get a sexy cowboy. Like also, all the new generations are are learned to reproduce all these biases and social roles through the search mm-hmm. engines because the search engines don't reflect on what they are
0: actually doing. So Arrestus, what needs to be done to address these problems and, and what is being done to address these problems? So
1: as Arua said, what is done until now is to put patches in, small, uh, in specific cases that uh, get traction uh, in media and with companies say oh we solve the problem uh, and they try to be as opaque as possible and to bring an example for um, uh, translation algorithms have the issue that if you translate something from uh, a foreign language that it's not uh, that it is gendered and so if you use a search engine and you want to translate something that is not in a gendered language and you translate it to a gendered one, usually the gender that the algorithm chooses is the one that replicates the highest, uh, socio- the, the biggest social stereotypes existing in the society. For example, the nurse we- is going to be translated to the female version in, a language, in another language while doctor to the male. And what Google has done is that they have corrected it if you uh, put very small sentences and then you get both gendered results. But if you put the whole text inside, the biases persists. Mm-hmm. So again, you find these patches that try to fix and say, oh, we dealt with that without actually either reflecting on the issue or uh, solving it from its root. Mm-hmm. And to what can be done or should be done. Arua mentioned diversify. The more different people from different backgrounds are responsible for creating the systems, the more inclusive the systems are going to be. But also, designers of the algorithm should think and take the ethical component while they design a system. They should also include the ethical component when they evaluate the system's results. And the most important, there must be regulation that forces Mm. the companies, individuals who deploy these algorithms to uh, conform to specific standards.
0: Yeah. Is it enough to say that a search engine algorithm reflects the culture it serves, biases and all? Is it merely a mirror of the stereotypes our society has has held? Or do we need to hold our search engines to a higher standard?
2: Yeah, I mean... I think it's fair to say that these by they're not coming from nowhere. The algorithm didn't make them up. Like these biases exist, but they're the biases of, you know, and people still say the majority, but it's, it's not necessarily the majority anymore because I think the world is, is not primarily (laughs) whites. And so it's the, it's, it's the biases of those with power. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, the bio, it's not that minorities, it's not that black women see themselves as only being defined by their hair. It's not, as, it's not that uh, w- women of color want to exoticize themselves. These are things that are happening to them um, from people of power. And the algorithm and the search engine is just reflecting the power that is being exhibited um, by those who create the technologies, by those who, have, who hold wealth in general.
1: If the society was behaving in a specific way until now, this the, doesn't mean that it should keep behaving like that. That's why we insert regulation. That's why we discuss about all these things to change them. And search engines and these algorithms have the, the bring the opportunity or the privilege that we can really shape them. And it's, we, don't, we did not have this opportunity for all other things, but we can shape the algorithm. So why not do it correctly? Like the argument of, oh, the society is biased, so the algorithm is biased and it's fine, is problematic in all
0: levels. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a really fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed this.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's been fun.
1: Thank you very,
0: very much. Thank you. Well, we've been speaking with Orestes Papakiriakopoulos and Arua Michelle Mboya. Arestus is a postdoctoral research associate at the Princeton Center for Information Technology Policy. Arua is a research assistant at the MIT Media Lab. I want to thank our guests as well as our recording engineer, Dan Kearns. Thanks as well to Emily Lawrence, Molly Sharlock, and Steve Schultz. Cookies is a production of the Princeton University School of Engineering and Applied Science. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and other platforms. Show notes and an audio recording of this podcast are available at our website, engineering.princeton.edu. If you get a chance, please leave a review. It helps. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Princeton University, I'm Aaron Nathans, digital media editor at Princeton Engineering. Watch your feed for another episode of Cookies soon. Peace.